welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Rebecca Waters. Rebecca is second generation rental, taking on the role of managing director from her father's business, High Range Crane Forks in Sydney, Australia. Being involved in the business for over 13 years, Rebecca manages the day-to-day operations of the company. Now, high-range crane forks actually specialize in rail equipment, and they provide both dry hire and wet hire as solutions. And I think they might actually be one of the first wet hire rental businesses that I've actually had on the podcast. So we chat through some of the types of equipment that they rent out, uh, the challenges that women have coming into the industry, and also around a group that Rebecca's heavily involved with, which is the Women in Equipment Hire Facebook group. Rebecca, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Sure. So this is a family-run business. My father started this business in 1989 as a um, just as a supporting company for his bricklaying team, actually. And as it grew, it became its own entity in its own right. So as a, as a child, I um, grew up around machinery. I went to operate a bobcat or a skid steer and a telehandler. And then I, I always worked in the business. So after school, I would come to the office and whether that be um, helping out in the yard or just in the actual office doing bookwork, uh, invoicing and whatnot. So I was always there always knew kind of what what was happening and knew the business and then actually when I finished school I I didn't come full-time into the business I actually went did real estate for a few years and then 2008 the current manager of this side of the company he actually left and my dad at that point offered it offered it to me Um, I was a little bit reluctant I was quite young and like as much as I knew the business and I probably knew eventually I would end up here, it kind of wasn't on my radar at the time. But I spoke to a number of the other employees and made sure that they were all kind of okay with me coming in and helping me to learn more, I suppose. Uh, so that's what I did. I came over in 2008, beginning of 2008, and started full-time as, as managing. Uh, it was different <laughs> to what I was yeah. used to. <laughs> Yeah, so so you obviously grew yeah. up around equipment, but like, what was the learning curve from not being involved in the business to to really just getting thrown in the deep end? Yeah, so I, what I wasn't prepared for was being as as I said, I was quite young when I came across you full time. I was twenty two, and managing a full time staff a workshop and doing everything myself, which in, included like all the WHS, the sales and marketing allocating all the staff, organising all the float movements. That was difficult. But I think the most difficult thing I found, though, was was working with um, with some particular staff that as much as they said, yes, we want you to come here full-time, we don't want that position, they made my life difficult. So mm. <laughs> to say, you know, be, being young and being female in a male-dominated industry, it was it was difficult back then. They, you know, would, would try and undermine me, I suppose, on occasion and whatnot. But it, it, 
in the end, I, I learned a lot from them and I'm, uh, I'm glad that, that it played out that way, honestly, because it just made me work harder. I, I would be here in the yard at 6am and I'd leave at 8pm and I'd be washing machines myself and getting them pre-hired, ready to go out. My customers would ring and they would ask me, you know, a, a technical question because they the machine would stop working or for some particular something particular would happen and you know I learned very quickly so I could tell them troubleshoot over the phone just check this and check that you know and most of the time it, I didn't need to send out a mechanic because I'd um listened <laughs> so yeah. I'd listen to the to the fitters in my yard um you know do do it before so <laughs> yeah uh just so that, that's it really just so was there ever any moments where you were sort of questioning yourself uh on occasion, I would go home and I would say to my my husband at the time, what have I done? Like, is this actually where I want to be? Do I, do I really need this stress? Because I was, I was it. So if there was a problem with the truck, my, and regularly my phone would be ringing well into the 1am, 2am if there's night shifts happening. And yeah, some, some days I questioned. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www dot try dot rental com. now back to the podcast episode definitely now i've got like some really good staff that have taken that burden off my shoulders somewhat so that we can we and we all share the load now so <laughs> it's a much, mm. much better system but yeah it's, it's at times it's difficult yes and so maybe just to give the audience a bit of an understanding of the history of the organization so so the company's high range crane forks but maybe want to talk around your father started the business, what it was back then and, and what's the business today? What's the makeup of the organization? Sure. Yep. So like I said, we started as just a support company to my dad's original business. He does commercial brick and block laying. So we we actually brought in the first um, Manitou from All Lift. Uh, they weren't called that back then. I think they're called Forklift Sales and Rentals. So my dad purchased a Manitou and, and that came in in 1987. And he used that purely just to, uh, as a, like a, just for material handling for his own bricks and cement and sand and whatever, whatever they've got going on on site. And what happened was the, the builders kind of took notice that, oh, these are like quite handy machines. Maybe we should look at, look at this. And so they would borrow it from him so then then he grew it um and my uncle also at the time came came on board and they they began an, another company like a hire company so they would do a lot of wet hire to builders and um, and then that, that eventually grew and they grew that to to we now have 30 30 odd machines and a reputable company across the construction and rail industry these days we we, we focus a lot on, on rail industry but we're still we're still there still there in the construction but yeah the, the rail is is kind of where we focus now we have a lot of we have a bit of a, a reasonable fleet of equipment that's high rail so it has like rain, train wheels attached to our equipment to allow mm. us to travel up and down the tracks and and whatnot so we've built quite a quite a good company 
doing doing those works is quite you know quite a niche market and the operators the experienced operators that we have um help us maintain that mm. uh, so so rail's quite a niche market and and it's really taken off over the last like few years so was that something that you purposely got into or how did you sort of get into rail specifically uh actually we started in rail in 1996 one of the companies that we purchased machines at the time had a contact and they kind of put our name forward and we started there with some smaller machines, <laughs> quite ridiculous actually, like a non-sewing telehandler with a man basket, which literally was just chained onto the fork. And uh, we would use those to <laughs> access tight air, like tight locations and um, they would do their, their overhead line works from those baskets or rock vaulting or whatever it was they needed to do but uh yeah so that's actually how we started we started with a number of machines just fixed boom telehandlers with um different attachments which was quite capable and then we moved into rotational machines and then i think it was 2000 and we've gone from strength to strength since high rail uh, we've also added some high-rail EWP since then and a few trucks as well. So uh, mm. that's that's where we where we focus m- like most of our time these days. And and so what's the makeup of the business? Is there do you have like dedicated service people? Like you mentioned you had um some people in, in, in your warehouse, or do you have like do you still do wet hire? Like what's the makeup of the organization? Sure. Yep. So we do wet and dry hire. I have a full-time staff here. So I've got three full-time staff in the office uh, and I have a fitter and a workshop manager who manage manage that now so I have stepped back from that because I was I was doing that as well I'm still I'm still doing majority of the work health and safety paperwork myself at the moment I'm trying to find someone currently <laughs> to help me help me with that just because as we get busier uh, and as the as the market, I suppose, changes, the industry changes, the, the demand the demand for um, that is phenomenal now. So that's like a full-time job in itself. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, so I manage, I still manage all of the allocations and I still manage all of our customer relations. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and so like what was your perceived thoughts before joining the business and the rental industry and like what's your perceived thoughts now because it seems like a lot's happened just during your time within the business uh, absolutely uh when i first started like i said it's it's a male dominated industry still but we are changing that slowly and you can see it you can see the shift uh dramatically and just in the last couple of years it's been really good to see more women uh into the rental industry uh and stay there but just construction in general when I first started, I would arrive on site just as like doing sales calls to try and get some machines on site and whatnot. And they immediately thought that I was work cover. I mean, it worked in my favor because they're always very nice because they just, that's where their mind went. <laughs> oh, she's work cover. She's going to annoy us if we do that. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that's changed now. Like that, you you know, there's um, so many women pushing pushing the boundaries in in that regard. It, it's it's really good to see uh, a lot of a lot of the sites I'm on now. There there's um, females that are project managers, project engineers of massive of massive construction sites, and they're young. Really good. Just, there is there's a major shift, and it's um it's like not just uh, because 
they've got to get their numbers up. You can, they're good at what they do. Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's definitely growing. Like it's, it's a lot of big organizations now also trying to put together initiatives as well, just through education. Uh, but like, like what do you have any ideas maybe on how just the industry as itself can attract more female candidates? I, for me, me personally, I feel, I feel like it's just um, like an education thing in terms of not even the women. Like, I feel like the men need to be educated on the fact that like their attitudes need to change, that the, the women coming on board are actually capable. And, and it's, it's generally not the younger the younger generation I've found, but the ones that you struggle with generally are the, the older men that, don't, that can't wrap their head around the girls still being on site. So mm. I, I feel like just at, like as time goes on, definitely it, it will get better and better. There's so much focus around women and, I mean, girls being pushed towards more of those different types of, you know, it, like formal education, engineering and like scientific it, like uh, degrees and whatnot at the moment. I'm not, I, I feel like it's kind of all heading in the right direction, but. Look, a couple of things here. So I think attitude's a big thing. So yeah. I, I was talking to someone and I won't name drop who the company is because I don't want to throw them under the bus. But <laughs> like I, I was talking to a company uh, a few months ago with uh, one of the people in the service department and he was talking about their service admin, service allocator, service controller sort of thing. And it was a female that was fairly new to the business. And just as an off comment, just during conversation, he was saying, oh, it would be so much better if like she was a bloke and she worked on the tools, like it would just be easier to train her. Just comments like that, which I think is just such an old mindset. It's if yeah. you're only going to think like that, you're only going to like bring the same people through the organization. So you, that sort of mindset needs to be weeded out. And it starts from the top within organizations as culture. It's very important yeah. for organizations to address that. So I think that's, that's really something that's very important to, to not just have that stigma or that stereotype pushed based upon preconceived thoughts on, on women in general. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As I said, but as time goes on, I feel like the younger generation coming through, they're not going to be pushing that so much. And uh, mm. those attitudes are changing. But like you said, it's got to, it does need to come from the top. It's got to be a, a, a full company, like a company wide attitude, like zero tolerance for, for that kind of um, rubbish, really. Because if there's a girl that wants to be a mechanic, then why? Why is it better that she's a man? She can, I'm sure she can do just as good a job if it's in those parts spaces better than some of the men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing that comes to my mind is a lot of people say, well, women just aren't applying for the job. So we can't employ them. Only men. Resumes come in. There's 10 resumes. Eight of them are male. Two of them are female. And then it's obviously we're going to pick more males because more apply. But then... I think there's this pressure where sometimes women don't feel like they're going to fit in and so they don't apply for the role. And so yeah. and so if you have a better education system explaining that it's it's a welcoming industry and we want women to be involved in all those sort of things because you can't say that women aren't skilled in the area because clearly there's going to be enough skilled women to do any job that a male can do. So it, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. It, it, it's an education thing that needs to come from industry bodies, 
big organizations. Uh, Coates is already doing lots of stuff. Kenneth is doing lots of stuff, but like lots of organizations just pushing it as much as possible. And that's, that's the Absolutely. only way it's going to improve. Definitely. Yeah. So a lot of our, our T1 contractors that we work for have all these women internships that they, that they're pushing on a regular basis to try and get more women into um, not just like construction or rail, but into those specific male dominated industries that we we currently seeing so and engineers and um, project managers where you would normally see a dominant male force uh there's women doing it but they 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 come about it from a different angle um so i feel like they complement one another you know mm. it's definitely they focus on different on different aspects of of um the works and you know they they're doing a great job yeah no, I completely agree. And then in talking about education, so I noticed that you're involved with the Women in Equipment Hire Facebook group. So so how did you get involved? What is the Facebook group? And and like, what's your involvement, I guess? Yeah, so Sam from recent Telehandler Hire, she actually approached me and asked me if, we, if I would be interested in co-founding uh, the group with her. And um, I took a while, but I, <laughs> I got back to her and I said, yeah. It's definitely something that we should we should do. So um, we just try and you know encourage encourage the girls in, in our industry across Australia uh, to to not let those stigmas beat them. So um, you know we we often posting links and and tips and um, put together some different webinars and just just some different things to to help with all kinds of, of things really like mentoring uh, women through different things they we have q a's or you know and just to support one another really just to just so that you know women in our industry know that there's other other girls that have got you back you know if you've got a question reach out and and somebody somebody will answer mm. yeah yeah just just trying to find let's just find to create a good support network yeah it's awesome that you're doing that with sam it's yeah give, give it i really believe that if you give back it just grows your network and your ability and 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 it grows you as a person as well so that's really for me, that's the podcast. So I started this podcast really to give back to the industry and grow it. And uh, I think even just doing something like that is just a, a great way to give back to the industry and and sort of do your part in, in, in giving back to women uh, as well. Absolutely. I, I just, and, and not only, um, like I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning from other women on there that have more experience than me or just different, but just different life experiences as well. Just in, in general, it's been, it's, it's definitely been an interesting few months. Yeah. I, I also um, I mentor a, a young engineer through the Australian Railway Association, um, and I found that that whole process really great as well. Like we meet, I, I meet up with her probably once a month just to go over some some things and whatnot. But I, I've really learnt from the actual mental program itself. That uh, they've got you know a number of links and courses that that we can do to help one another, and uh, that whole experience has been great too. Mm. That's awesome. Really great to hear. So, so then if you could give some advice to a new person joining the equipment rental industry, what would you say to them? Don't let them, don't let them beat you down. Like literally just go keep, keep trying no matter what kind of role you're in there, just do it. Like just get up every day, come in and just get the job done. Like literally and if you've got questions reach out and ask someone uh, i feel like honesty is definitely what has helped me 
over the years build rapport with my customers. If I don't know, I just say that I don't know. I'm going to have to come back to you. Or that's what I've always found. Anyone that is fluffing to make make up that they that's the main thing I've found. Just honesty is always the best policy. If you don't know, just say that I don't know. I'll come back to you. I'll find the answer and I'll come back. That mm. that always goes way further than than fluffing. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty easy to tell when someone's sort of making something up and they're trying to just talk their way through it because often they'll they'll misquote themselves or they'll take forever to come back to you with an answer or they just won't respond at all or or they they say yeah. something and then they <laughs> deliver on something else. So look, th- there's no shortcuts yeah. and the only way to do it is, as you said, uh, is by asking questions and don't don't be scared to ask questions. Absolutely. And just don't, uh, especially with hire, don't um, tell someone that you can do something and, and not be able to follow through. That, that I find is, is the worst thing because customers, the customers are relying, relying on you at that point. So um, I always find it's best to just say, look, I can't at this stage. I'll see if I can find somebody else for you or whatnot. Or at this point, I, I find for me, Subhiring is um, sometimes more hassle than it's worth, so I literally just pass them on to one of one of my other um, contacts, which we've created, especially within that women in equipment hire group, we've created some great little networks there. So I just will push them to one of those girls, mm. and that so- um, that works. And my customers will come back; they come back to me too because they know that well, I'm got their interests at heart. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think this might be a similar answer, the next question I'm going to ask, but we'll ask it anyway. So if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Don't um, bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the cause of many sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah, learn to say no. <laughs> is, that, is that something that yeah. you struggled with when you were younger, saying no? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially as I was trying to build rapport with new customers uh, and and break into certain markets and whatnot, it was that was a really big thing for me. Uh, I would just say yes, always just say yes, and then figure it out later. Like I said, many, many, many sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a common trait for almost a lot of startups in in hire or rental like they just say yes and then they they just assume that they can figure out by a, a re-rent or a sub hire and and yeah it, it is a lot of stress so it's, it's a bit of a balancing act really to make sure that if you are saying yes you're not over over promising what you can actually deliver and over committing yeah. yeah yeah absolutely just i feel like in in that regard as well because if you say yes and you put the wrong people on the wrong job that can have a worse effect than if you just said no i can't i can't commit to that that many or whatnot Mm, yeah no i agree and how do you define success um so for me it eventually (laughs) it will be freedom and that's in terms of time i suppose i'd like to be able to have enough staff here that I can rely on to be able to step away and have a holiday and not worry or not have to take phone calls every day, enjoy the time with my children. That Mm. to me will be when I can say I've succeeded. Mm. I think it's hard. You hear stories of people, like let's just say in your circumstance where they, they work until they're 55 
and they haven't really been able to step back from working in the business. And I think it's a real challenge around letting go of some of the reins and letting other people move up within the organization and take more ownership and control. And you've got to, probably the biggest challenge is finding the right person for that role or roles within the organization as well. But it's it's very common for small businesses to, I don't want to say get stuck, but they they never truly let go. And if you never let go yeah, and, and try and do that growth, Bravo. you're always going to be in that, that what I call the, the treadmill. You're always on the treadmill. You, I can't remember what, like the, I had a quote from someone once. It was like, every business owner should be able to like go on at least two, three week holidays and not think that the building's going to burn down <laughs> when they're away. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so yeah, look, it's, 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 it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but that, that's sort of the direction you got to go. Otherwise, like if you take a step back and let's say we reconnected in 10 years and you're in exactly the same spot, you'd sort of be questioning like what you're trying to drive towards. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. We're in the process of um, putting more systems into place to allow not just uh, me, but like all of my staff to kind of have that security where they can freely step away for a week or two and know that it, like they're not going to have to take phone calls uh, while they're away or they're not going to come back to an absolute mess. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, we're, we've slowly been doing it, but I've been more focused in the last 12 months. That's, that's been my focus. I've been focused on, on the business purely on, yeah, implementing those systems and finding the right people for um, right role, so to say. So, yeah. Because otherwise in 10 years time, I'll still be here telling you the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. I can't go away on holiday without yeah. um, taking five phone calls a day. <laughs> so. Yeah. so, so look, I think there's going to be a lot of small businesses listening to this podcast, probably thinking, "What systems are they implementing? Like, what? How do we? How do we solve these? Because a lot of chat, they're going through the same challenges. So, did you want to elaborate a little bit more on some of the ideas that you have? Like, is it new software? Is it new processes itself? Is it going more electronic? Like, like what? What, what are you sort of thinking? Yeah. So we've, we're kind of trying our best to move away from paper-based uh, documentation, which eliminates a lot of the, the double, double and triple handling that we were um, facing in the past. So we've moved to a, a program called Assigner, which does all of our allocations. And our employees can lodge through their, their work dockets for the day. So this is helping as well because we're not, they're not getting lost Previously, we'd have to wait for the machinery to come back into the yard, go and find the dockets, bring them in, invoice them, etc. But now they're they're all there. We've got them at, at our uh, fingertips when we when we're ready. So that's one thing. Um, also, through that system, we've we've implemented like a service like service forms. So whereas before we'd have to fill out a service form, scan it in, then enter it into like another spreadsheet. So again, like double and triple handling things. We, it's all there at our fingertips now. So the, the boys literally, they'll, they can see when it was last service. They can go in, pick what service they're going to do. They know exactly what's included in that service then. And they go, they literally mark it off as a, like a tick and flick uh, mm. and then lodge it. And it's all there at our fingertips then. So just like these things that just would take time before and I'd have to rely on someone to physically enter it into an Excel spreadsheet or whatnot to to keep the service histories up to date for each piece of equipment. It's just automatically there. Mm. So we are finding that a whole lot lot easier and 
and then the, and then the same we're kind of also now in the process of uh, setting up a similar thing with our invoicing so we can work out the charge rates and and whatnot so just automatically then once the boys lodge their dockets it will just invoice itself almost <laughs> yeah we're getting well, there we're getting there <laughs> what, what was the response from the, the staff in the field from going from a paper base to like more electronic were they for it were there was there a little bit of pushback uh, absolutely. So at the start, there was definitely some pushback, especially from our older operators who weren't so tech savvy. But once I got them in and gave them some help with it, and we, you know, we had a transition period, so they all had their paper dockets with them if for some reason it wasn't working or they couldn't couldn't get it to happen that day, or they were just having a they were just having a bad day themselves, and and it was kind of you know beyond their their mental processes for that day. They could fall back onto the paper for documents documentation for a while until we until we all kind of caught up and we're on the same page so uh, don't, yeah it definitely took some time but uh that yeah all that that one was definitely the first one we put into place and it's all it's all moving smoothly now so <laughs> awesome that's very good yeah i think doing dockets in the field when you're recording timesheets and the hours you worked and the meter reading of the equipment and all and all that stuff yeah, if, if it's all on paper, it's just, especially when I see so many organizations start small and grow. Like imagine if you were like five times the size and you were still doing paper dockets in the field, like how hard that would be to manage. You would have, you would probably have like two or three people full-time just entering stuff in manually. So yeah, it's very smart to, to do that when you're at a certain size so when, you, when you grow. All right, Rebecca. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me.